0: Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the preachers at our church, and it is a delight uh, to be here with you uh, in this fun and unusual setting, as long as I can get myself all straightened out. Great to have you all with us in Zoom, for those of you who who are here with us. Let to see as many of you as possible. There we go. And those of you who are here enduring the heat and the noise, and we're just glad to have you here to worship the Lord together. We have been uh, studying as a church through the Gospel of Luke, uh, the book of Luke. It's one of the, the four biographies about Jesus uh, in the New Testament. And today we continue that study. We're in chapter 19, starting at verse 11. during my childhood about the scariest words I could ever hear were wait until your father gets home my brother and I knew that we might be able to get away with some things with our mom but not with dad and when dad got home there would be a reckoning In a similar way, Jesus has made his way through Luke's gospel, steadily on his way toward Jerusalem, declaring that there will be a reckoning. He's declared that the vine which God planted, the nation of Israel, has gone untended and unfruitful for too long. And Jesus is on his way to personally erect his kingdom through his death and resurrection at Jerusalem. Now this is good news for some people because it means that they will finally be able to enter into the kingdom where the religious elites have kept them out far too long. But for others, with Jesus' words, there is the distant toll of a doomsday gong and the increasing velocity of a whirlwind about to fall upon them friends the kingdom of god has arrived it is present in the midst of you will you be shown at the reckoning to have been a productive servant Or will you be shown to have been a self-protective servant? Or will you be shown to have been a rebellious and protesting citizen seeking to overthrow the king? Where is your allegiance? And where is your investment? Because if you have the outline in front of you, you'll see from this text, we are going to see that the time has arrived. The expectations are clear, and a reckoning is imminent. Let me pray for our time together in God's word. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant us, please, ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us, that we might see Jesus, the true king, and that his kingdom has arrived and the time has come for a reckoning. Please help us to be prepared. Help us to pledge our allegiance and hold fast in our allegiance to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, our Lord and Master. Help us to bow before him and to receive his mercy and his grace today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please hear now the word of Christ from Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been, excuse me, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is God's word. Let's try to understand what's happening here in this parable. First, in verse 11. We see that the time has arrived. Before I explain the parable itself, <clears throat> we must make sure that we understand the setting for the parable. The setting is a critical part of the context that the author Luke has established to shape the way we read this parable. In particular, we ought to understand that we are now in the final episode of Jesus's journey toward Jerusalem. For 10 chapters, ever since chapter nine, Luke has drawn out this journey, reminding us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In the next verse, verse 28, he will enter Jerusalem. He finally arrives. We've had, for 10 chapters, we've had very little action, mostly just talking and reflecting on the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus sent his disciples to proclaim to people that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus explained how the kingdom of God will grow as the people of God grow closer to God and they grow more like him. Jesus all throughout has also surprised us by describing time and again that the people you'd most expect to be in the kingdom won't be. And the people you'd never expect to get in will it all comes down to whether people are willing to humble themselves, admit their need, and trust in Jesus to rescue them and be their king now in just the last few chapters, Jesus has spoken specifically about the timing of the kingdom when will these things take place and when he was asked When the kingdom would come in chapter seventeen, verse twenty-two, I think, Jesus flabbergasted his questioners by telling them that the kingdom was already present in their midst. And, And so now Jesus finally approaches the outskirts of Jerusalem. He he's ready to die for the sin of the world. He's ready to be declared king by his resurrection, and he has won final parable here to explain what he is about to explain what this journey this 10 chapter travel uh, travel time what it's all been about and the narrative begins in verse 11 by saying as they heard these things we ought to ask what are these things What things did they just hear that triggered their expectations and set him up to tell this parable? Immediately before this, as you look back in your Bibles, we we had the story that we we heard about last week. It was the interaction with Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, where Jesus declared in verses 9 and 10 that today salvation has come to this house. since he also a son of am for the son of man came to seek and to save lost friends do you hear it you hear the things that these people heard that stimulated their words? hey salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus salvation is a big word for luke it's Luke's buzzword for the kingdom of God. Salvation in Luke, that's what, what happens when God's kingdom comes in power. When imposters are ousted and the marginalized find life. Salvation is what happens when those who turn away from sin, like Zacchaeus, they gain everything. And those who hold on to their lives lose it all. That's salvation. And so the people hear this. They hear him say this to Zacchaeus and about Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house. Despised tax collector has become a son of Abraham. You see this? The outsiders, the despised Gentiles are going to start coming from east and west and north and south to recline today with Abraham in the feast of the kingdom. They hear these things. And so the air is electric. And energy is at an all-time high, and they wonder if this is it. Is this what they've been waiting for? Now that he's getting to Jerusalem, if is salvation really present right in front of them, embodied as a rabbi from Nazareth who has an awful lot to say about the way things ought to be? And so Luke tells us right in verse 11 that Jesus was near to Jerusalem. He's told us that he's going there. He's told us what's going to happen when he gets there. He told his disciples what's going to happen when he gets there. And he's near. And he's we say learn in verse 11 that these people supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. This is the setting for the parable. Now let me take a moment to address a common approach to this passage. An approach that I think is a mistaken approach. Many people who read this parable in Luke 19, this parable of the minas, when we read this parable, we can't get out of our head a different parable, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And rightly so that it's in our mind because the two parables are very similar, where a a guy in charge of servants, he gives them some money and he goes away and then he comes back and he checks on how they did with it. And some of them produced more and some of them didn't. And so it's very, very similar, but we need to be careful because friends, it would be a mistake to treat these two parables as though they were the same parable. And it would also be a mistake to interpret this parable of the minas as though it had the same point as that parable from Matthew of the talents. And that other parable, people, in my experience, people tend to be more familiar with that, more experience with that one. That parable clearly speaks about the time after Jesus leaves earth to be with his father in heaven, and he later returns a second time to judge all people everywhere. And so we come to this parable, and we've got that one in mind, and we see that they supposed, as Luke tells us in verse 11, they supposed that the kingdom was to appear immediately, and therefore we conclude that Jesus must have told this parable to correct their mistaken notion and teach them that there would be a delay, in fact, since he still had to depart before he came back a second time when the kingdom of God would really appear. But friends, from the context of Luke, from the setting that Luke has established leading up to this, that would be a mistake to read the parable that way. Please make sure to read each parable in its own right. The people that Jesus is now speaking to in Luke and the people to whom Luke writes his book, they would not have that expectation of this departure, some future return. Jesus just hasn't talked about that very much in Luke. They would have heard this parable as being fully consistent with all that Jesus has said leading up to this point. Which is that the kingdom of God is present in their midst. That he himself, Jesus, is the embodiment of this salvation. And he's been saying all along that judgment is coming upon Jerusalem and upon that generation. He has said each of these things many times in the the book of Luke, especially these last 10 chapters. Let's not assume that he told this parable to correct their mistaken notions. Luke never says that. In fact, from the, the context and the setting, it's more likely that Jesus told this parable to affirm the fact that they finally get what he's been saying all along in this gospel. That the king is here, that the kingdom has arrived, that something huge is about to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. The big surprise, however, is that there will be a big surprise for those who have been put in charge of the nation of Israel. And they will not quite be getting the respect and affirmation that they expect from their God. Now, we know a lot about their expectations for vindication and promotion. Remember other parables he told, like the parable of the Pharisee who prayed, I thank God I'm not like this tax collector. Now we have a tax collector who's gotten salvation. What's going to happen to the Pharisees? We know about their expectations that God will honor them and promote them. But what are God's expectations? What are Jesus's expectations with this kingdom? The time has arrived. Verse 11, let's move on. The expectations are clear. In verses 12 through 14. We're in the parable now. And in the... This parable, this story that Jesus tells, there's a nobleman who goes off to a far country. And before he went off, he called 10 of his servants and he gave them each a mina. A mina was a coin, was an item of currency. It was a somewhat large coin. It was worth about four months' wages. According to minimum wage laws today, this might be a, uh, like entrusting about $5,000 to each of these servants. Why does the nobleman do this? What are his expectations? You can see him right in verse 13. The expectations are clear. Engage in business until I come. So you see, he expects them to be productive. He expects them to have more when he returns than they had when he left. He wants them to speculate. He wants them to invest. He wants them to put these resources to work so they can grow and they can produce and they can bless the community and result in gains, profits for the estate. So the nobleman's expectations are for growth, progress, and production. But in verse 14, we see a different set of expectations. There's another group of people in this parable. And you don't get this in Matthew. If you think this is the same as Matthew, this is where it gets way off, you've got these citizens of this nation who are outside the household servants. These aren't the household servants, but the citizens. And they have different expectations. They send a delegation saying that they don't even want this man to rule over them. They petition the supreme potentate to send someone else. This isn't the one that we wanted or expected. We have different hopes and dreams for this kingdom. We want to be under new management. This story, friends, is the story of Israel. And we've had opportunity to comment on it all through Luke's gospel. The nation of Israel was the vine that God planted, but it has borne no fruit for far too long. And so God, the vine dresser, is ready to pluck it out and start over, but he will be patient for a little while longer. The rulers of Israel were supposed to be the servants who took care of the people, but they have oppressed them and beat them down. They have laid heavy burdens on the people, being utterly unwilling to heal diseases on the Sabbath, unwilling to welcome those who want to change their ways, unwilling to accept the foreigner and the stranger whom God loves. These rulers are the citizens of the kingdom in the parable, asking for new management. And you know what? They're going to get it. They're going to get it. When they are cast out and they are no longer under the gracious and good rule of the king of the Jews. And so the expectations here are clear enough that there should be a welcoming spirit among God's people. There ought to be a productive diligence, a concern for the weak and the poor, a pursuit of the foreigner and the outcast, a drawing in of those who need mercy instead of a self-congratulatory holding on to power and respect. The words of the prophets are about to be fulfilled with vigor. Just as Jesus has said, he must do all that the prophets have spoken. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus had told us that John the Baptist was the messenger sent before him that the prophet Malachi had predicted. And I want you to hear what else Malachi had to say about Jesus's day in Malachi chapter 3, where he talks about that messenger, John the Baptist. Malachi 3, starting in verse 1, says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see, Jesus is bringing this to fulfillment, right? As Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem and comes suddenly into his temple, just like Malachi said, he tells a parable about a nobleman returning as king to inspect everything and to see how everybody has done. And Jesus tells this parable in the spirit and power of Malachi, putting himself in the place of the Lord. The messenger of the covenant, John the Baptist, has already come and gone. But Jesus, the Lord, is now coming to inspect and to check on these things. And he knows that he will not be pleased. The expectations are clear. And so number three, a reckoning is imminent. A reckoning is imminent. As Jesus describes the return of the king to inspect his kingdom, in this parable, he comes across three categories of people. There are productive servants. There are protective servants. And there are protesting citizens. There are productive servants, protective servants, and protesting citizens. Let me take each of these in turn. First, he meets productive servants. In verse 16, there is one servant who has turned one mina into ten minas. He took what he was entrusted with and he produced more. In verse 17, he's given charge as a result of 10 cities. He was very productive. In verse 18, there's another servant who converted one mina into five minas. And so in verse 19, he's given charge of five cities. And in this parable, we're only told about three servants. We don't know what happened to the other seven. Remember, he started with 10, gave them each a mina. We can use our imaginations, but there are at least two productive servants that represent a class of productive servants. These servants describe those who are doing what they were charged to do. They are assisting in the kingdom's growth and the kingdom's proclamation. They have more at the time of reckoning than they had when they were first entrusted with the resources. In other words, looking at the Gospel of Luke, these are the 11 faithful disciples. These are Mary and Martha, the man healed of a multitude of demons, These are the shepherds who came to worship at the feet of baby Jesus. These are Simeon and Anna who delighted in his presentation at the temple. This is Jairus who believed. This is the bleeding woman who believed. This is the Roman centurion who believed. This is the sinful woman of the city who believed and had her sins forgiven. This is the blind man on the road to Jericho who recognized Jesus before he could see. He could see that Jesus was the son of David and the one who could offer him mercy. These are all people who welcomed the king's return to Jerusalem with open arms. These are people who end up better off than when they started. Those who became messengers to help spread the word. Those whose interactions with the world caused the world and the people in it to draw closer to the king of kings. Those are the productive servants. Second in the parable, we see protective servants. The nobleman meets with this. This is the third one who approaches him in verse 20. This was a servant who held onto his mina and kept it safely hidden away. He kept it safely hidden away. And he did that because of fear and a mistaken view of the king's character. See how he says, I knew you were a severe man. And you make all these demands for things that you didn't earn. And he's got this view of, of who his king is, who his nobleman is. Who are these people? Who are the protective service? See, he wanted to protect. He hid it in a handkerchief so he wouldn't lose it. These are the people who have bided their time, not wanting to rock the boat too much. They haven't worked consciously against the spread of the kingdom, but also they haven't been catalysts for its growth and advancement. This is Judas, one of the disciples, as we'll learn later in this book. He's sort of with Jesus and sort of not. He's out there preaching, but he's also conspiring with others on the side. This is the rich ruler from chapter 18 who was sad as he walked away from Jesus And Jesus' expectations that this guy would bless others more than he blessed himself. These protective servants, they are the nine Jewish lepers who were healed by Jesus but failed even to return to thank him. These are all the people who claim to follow God as their king, but when push comes to shove, they don't really want things to change. And so we see in verse 24 that whatever they happen to have, will be taken from them and it will be given to others who will be no more productive with it. And God is incredibly unfair when he redistributes his wealth. He gives it to the guy who has 10 and everybody complains, but he already has 10. What about equal distribution here? Well, that's not God's way of doing things. And finally, we saw productive servants and protective Servants, but finally here's the twist that's not present in matthew's parable of the talents this third category is that of the protesting citizens these are those who sent a delegation of protest against their king in verse 14 Uh, they sent this against the returning king who's now come to inspect his kingdom and he finally calls them before him in verse 27 you see this it is a grisly end to a parable This one doesn't show up in the children's Bibles. They'll put the talents parable, but not the minas. Bring them here and slaughter them in front of me. You see, he will have it out with them. And they will not survive the encounter. It's probably not difficult for you to guess that in Luke's gospel, these folks are the Pharisees and the scribes, generally speaking. Those who Should have known better those who were appointed to care for the sheep, but they have cared only for themselves. These are they who have actively opposed Jesus every step of the way. This likely also includes Herod, who desperately wants people to see him as a Jew, as the king of the Jews. But he ordered the execution of John, the forerunner, because of a stupid promise to a girl. In, in next week's passage, Jesus will finally ride into Jerusalem. You can read ahead this afternoon if you want to see it. He will ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey like a returning king, fulfilling this parable, fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi. And in Luke's gospel alone of the four gospels, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, we see him weeping as he rides into town. Because he is so brightly aware of the divine judgment that he brings with him into that city. A reckoning is imminent. Now I'd like to close with three applications for those who have ears to hear these words today. Even though Jesus' main intention in this parable was to describe his first coming there are still implications for us who live in between his comings and we ought not to expect the expectations to be any different at his second coming <clears throat> and so what ought we to do about this number 1 application number 1 pledge or maintain your allegiance to king jesus pledge or maintain your allegiance to King Jesus. Maybe you hear this today and you have never pledged allegiance to King Jesus. And today could be your first time. Maybe you are visiting with us or maybe you're a young person who hasn't publicly professed your allegiance to Jesus. Please don't wait Another moment. The time of reckoning has arrived and you will not be able to escape. And if you have already pledged your allegiance to Jesus, please do not ever give it up. Do not resort to hiding and simply trying to get by. He has spoken to you every expectation that you will engage in business. He expects you to be productive for the sake of his kingdom. Please do not resort to self-protection or laying low or freezing out of fear. Pledge or maintain your allegiance to King Jesus. Number two, invest in this kingdom community. Invest in this kingdom community. Luke has now spent 10 chapters explaining how to do this. If you want some practicals, if you want to know what to do, go back and read Luke 9 through 19. Understand how Jesus expects you to proclaim his kingdom in your spheres of influence. He expects you to grow his kingdom by praying By drawing near to God, by becoming more and more like Jesus, by stewarding your money and shaping your character after his purity and integrity. Jesus urges you to enter through the narrow door where you've got nothing to prove and nothing to hide. You simply receive his mercy for your sin the way an infant receives its mother's milk. And he reminds you that the time is soon you have no idea how much longer you have for this earth please make the most of it we need more people to help us spread the kingdom of christ we need more people to teach the young people in this church about this incredible message of the kingdom we need that informally and we need it formally with sunday school teachers we need more people to learn to lead growth groups So we can multiply our small groups. We need some of you to become elders and deacons. We need more people to help us distribute flyers, to run the sound equipment and the streaming and to take out the trash. Find whatever you can do to make a profit on what he's given to you. Find whatever you can do to make his kingdom on earth a better and a stronger place for having had you as a part of it. So please invest in this kingdom community. And finally, number three, don't turn to self-protection. Don't turn to self-protection. And especially, don't have a wrong view of the king that might tempt you towards self-protection. I fully understand that so many of you have had so much pain in the past. You have regrets. You have disappointments. I understand that not everybody is gifted by God for the same roles and tasks, and that is a beautiful thing, the way God designed us. But please don't let any of these factors turn you inward to think about yourself and how you can protect yourself. Maybe I'm just going to try to hold on to my faith and get by without losing it. I'll wrap it up in this handkerchief and stick it in my back pocket. So don't think about how you can just sit tight or... Wait and see or look before you leap. Remember number two, invest in this kingdom. And especially if you think of Jesus, if you if you, you, you look at him and you see him and, and the picture you have of Jesus is primarily that he is a strict and overbearing master just waiting to drop at the hammer. He's looking at all the mistakes you've made so he can jump on them. He's looking for you to screw up so he can be done with you once and for all. If you see Jesus this way, you'll never be able to take the kind of risks he asks of you. You'll never pull that handkerchief out of your back pocket and put it to work in a risky place where maybe you could lose it, but you have to risk losing it so that you can gain a lot more. Instead, please remember that Jesus is a kind and a generous master. He always gives grace to the humble, to those who know. They need it. Remember that He came to seek and to save the lost. Remember that He invites you to come and feast with Him now and forever. It's okay to come out of your shell and ask what you can do to help. He just might reward you with ten cities before it's done. Friends, our sin it is great, but His mercy is more if you will but live out your created purpose and pledge your allegiance to the kind and gracious King Jesus, the distant toll of his doomsday gong will have no fear for you. You can simply continue in your work, delighted for his return, so you can show him all that belongs to him and all that was your privilege to steward for a time. Please pray with me our father in heaven thank you so much for the lord jesus and this message of the kingdom that he brought the reckoning he established salvation and lord even uh, the the branches of of ethnic israel were were broken off of your tree so that that we gentiles could be grafted in their reckoning came and we know that a reckoning is coming for us oh lord help us Not to take this for granted, but help us also to fear, lest we be broken off from this tree which you are growing of your kingdom. Help us to honor you, to maintain allegiance to King Jesus, to invest in this kingdom, and help us to avoid turning to self-protection, because we know you are gracious and kind, eager to bless. We praise you. We bow before you, King Jesus. Be our king now and forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.